Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. You can find out a a lot about a person with the first thing they say when they get an opportunity to say something. When Jesus went into his hometown synagogue, the first thing he said was, the Spirit of God was on him to heal the brokenhearted. And the first time he preached publicly in front of a massive, massive audience, known as the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing he said was, Blessed are the poor in spirit and those who are mournful. God will give you the kingdom and he will comfort you. We know what was the predominant theme on his heart. First things he said. Someone told me a couple weeks ago that uh, the, the last two sermons I preached, he, he said, and he meant it in a complimentary way, he said, man, you were coming in hot. And uh, I pray this one this morning is coming in warm and it melts us into the arms of Jesus. In order for that to happen, something has to happen beyond an ability to communicate a message. Um, His presence has to be preeminent here. And over the next, I was gonna say a few minutes, but that's really extreme. Over the next (laughs) little bit, I wanna believe that God's glory will Come. One of my all-time favorite preachers said that although we need a tough hide to get through this life, we also have to keep a tender heart. And I really like that. The challenge is to have that. Because storms are tough, aren't they? And battles can flip you. And instead of having a tender hide, I mean, instead of having a tough hide and a tender heart, we can have a tenderized hide and a tough heart. And I don't mean a tough heart in a good way. I mean a tough heart that becomes cynical and snarky and distant and cold and closed and weary and wearisome and war-scarred. God cares about that. God cares about you. God cares about me. God cares about you if you feel like running, if you are running, if you want to run and you can't run, if you can't worship, if you can't pray, if you can't believe you're in a situation you're in. He tells us to guard our heart because that's where the well is. The wellspring of faith and hope and love and giving and believing and serving and standing and worshiping is in the wellspring of our heart. This message is for those who need something beyond a stirring today. You need a strengthening of the heart. And God, I believe, wants to do that for you And for me, over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at a passage, and and like a lot of preachers do, you preach a passage, you get started, and never return to it again. I'm going to give you this this passage today, and next week, and next week, and I'm not going to return to it today, but I'm going to use it as a back curtain over the next couple weeks, because there's something said in it. That, that we're going to see play out in the characters we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. It comes from the pen of David. We all know David, King David, the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, a man after God's own heart, which God said about him. He didn't say that about himself. And uh, next week, we're going to zero in on him, but not this week. I just want you to read and see what he said in a time of his life in Psalm 73. I love this. Here's what David said. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I love this. My heart, I'm sorry, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, you're the father of mercies. 
and you're the God of all comfort and you strengthen the heart. You've strengthened my heart and I pray that the way that you've strengthened my heart will be released to strengthen the heart of everyone here. You've shown mercy to my heart and I pray that those same mercies would be released from your hand to those who need it, Lord. I pray that we would be strengthened by each other's faith today, but more than that, that there would be a grace and a mercy found that flows from your heart, from your throne to our heart in this place. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. Uh, we're going to leave David behind, as I said. We'll look at him next week in full detail. But he talks about God strengthening our heart when our flesh and our heart fail. And I picked a person to begin with today, and I want to talk about this person in more detail as we go on. And I found something out about her uh, that I hadn't, I've studied this for years and years and years, decades and decades. And I was on my way to dinner the other night with Ollie and I, Alexis and I came across something in my head that I just went, I thought, why did I ever think of that before about this person? And it just opened this up to me and I'll talk about what that was in a minute. But it's about this woman in the Old Testament. Her Hebrew name is pronounced Hagar. Uh, we would say Hagar, the same way we would say Abram when his Hebrew name is really Avram, and Sarai, and we'd say Sarah. And I was thinking about that. How, do I say their name the way, it, the way they would know it as? I mean, if Abram walked in here today, we, we'd go, Abram, he wouldn't know we were talking to him. And uh, Hagar, her name isn't Hagar, like the slacks. Her name is Hagar. If she was here today, I would want to give her the respect and really say her name. So I'm not trying to be cool and scholarly and nerdy. I'm just going to use her name for the way she'd like it. I had a friend from Ethiopia a long time ago, and uh, she couldn't say my name the way people here say it. She called me Team. Team. And I had no problem with that. But then, of course, all my friends started calling me Team, you know, because... And her name was Mesky. And... Uh, People around here, as they do, have their own way of saying words, called her musky. Musky. And her name was Mesky. So if she was here today, I would call her Mesky. But anyway, Hagar. If we're not careful, we'll use her, if you're a Bible teacher, as a theological symbol to explain the contrast and difference between the Old and the New Covenant. Hagar can be used to show the difference of that. But you know what? She's a real person. She's a real person. We're going to check on her heart status. Let me tell you where she is when we find her, when we're going to look at this passage. She's a part of a traveling band, Abram's traveling band. Abram is this descendant of Noah, and he is living in modern-day Iraq, Ur of the Chaldees, was what it was called then, an idolatrous culture. Uh, the God of Israel is not on the map, but the God of Israel calls him out, and he says, come with me, follow me, leave everything behind, and I will show you a land that I will give you, I will make your name great, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. All the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. And I will, from your own body, bring forth a descendant who will bless all the nations. So this is no kid. This is an older man getting older with a wife that's old and getting older. And God has made promises to them in so dramatic fashion that he appeared to him before. And he took him out in front of his tent and he said, count the stars. If you can count them, that's how many of your descendants you have. Wow. So, Abram and Sarai are in the early stages. They're in like the first quarter of their faith journey with this God. So they don't know a whole lot about him, other than maybe oral traditions that come from their fathers. And uh, they're not sure if he's only geographical and there's a famine in the land. And so back in that time, they would think there were gods over different parts of the world. And so there was famine in the land of this God. And so perhaps down in Egypt, there would be another God. Taking. So they go to Egypt in a time of famine. It doesn't say if they should have. It doesn't say that they shouldn't have. But they end up there. They get in trouble. But 
because God said he's going to bless them. They come out of Egypt, and it says, with great riches. Wouldn't you like to make big mistakes like that and come out with the Powerball, you know, winnings and... Just can't help it, I'm lucky. Abraham comes out of that and he's blessed. And in the midst of that, he has acquired a maidservant, a slave by the name of Hagar. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. In Genesis chapter 16, here we go. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, now behold... The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. I want you to read this really closely today. There's a whole lot in here. Look at her. Look what she thinks in this season. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Next verse. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. Now I want to pause right there and I want to add a whole lot of hot sauce and spice to the soup. I said that the Lord appeared to this man and the Lord spoke in such, in such dramatic way that he knew promises by a God that appeared to him. It wasn't like he thought it up. This happened. Okay. When we find him here, 10 years pass from the promise. And we have now walked 10 years, or they had walked, they didn't, we didn't. We're reading about it. We flipped the page. The page took a long flip. The page was a 10-year flip. 10 years. So God makes, gives the word, and I didn't say 10 minutes pass and it's fulfilled. I didn't say... 10 days pass. I didn't say God gives you a word and 10 church services later, God fulfills it. I said 3,650 days. And if that still seems close with no more words, no more words, no more words, no more appearances, no more God moments, 3,650. If that doesn't seem like a lot, that's 87,600 hours of, how would you say it in Western Maryland? Nothing. Nothing. And if that doesn't make the soup too spicy to swallow, if from the moment God told you those promises, you started counting. One, two, three. When we show up here in the 16th chapter, you would be on 315,360,001. seconds pass by in the land of nothing. So you could kind of get a little bit more empathy. See, I I don't know if Abram and Sarah put a Facebook post out three days after the word from the Lord and, and the balloon popped and the blue powder came out. I don't know if they did that or not. And everybody's excited in that moment, but after 315 million seconds go by, ain't nobody popping any balloons. And it kind of gives you a little bit more empathy for why Sarah goes, the Lord's prevented me from having a kid. Have you ever waited real long after a time you really thought God spoke and it's not 10 minutes, it's not 10 days, it's not 10 services, it's not, it's uh, 3 million. You kind of start thinking in your own head. Well, maybe it meant this, and maybe it meant that, and maybe the way we do it. Perhaps, you, you live in the land of perhaps. Well, it doesn't end there. Abram goes into Hagar, and she conceives. She gets pregnant. She's a slave. She gets pregnant, and her mistress gets despised. She starts despising in her own sight Sarai. 
Well, because maybe she realizes, I'm going to carry this baby. I'm going to go through all this, and then it's not even going to be mine. i got to give this to her. I'm not even a human. One. And so we get to the next verse, and this happens too in the land of nothing. How do I know that? Because I've done this. Well, I didn't do this. I just mean I've... <laughs> I've had attitudes. Watch, watch, I'll show you. You'll see yourself too. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be on you. Doesn't that sound like the land of nothing? I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the, <laughs> then you bring God in it. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said, look, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. Wait a minute. Hey, you do what you want, babe. Do what you want. They're having fun down there. <laughs> Dang. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Hagar ran. Uh, I looked over this slowly and I kept seeing this in your sight, in her sight. And I thought about me and times in the nothing, how I began to think and see. Your sight, my sight, their sight. And everybody has a perhaps. And everybody even, throw, not everybody, but some buddies throw, and some of your buddies do, throw the, well, the Lord, maybe the Lord, maybe the Lord, maybe the Lord, and maybe the Lord. Anybody ever been in the land of nothing? I want to just add a little sidebar here. To the, I've been this person, and maybe you're a person like this. A word to those who haven't been in real deep wars in the spirit. And you're new at this. Uh, you have a Bible verse or two. Maybe you've been a year at Bible school, and you've, you just got back from a revival conference, and you've read a couple books and listened to some sermons, and so you pretty much have it all figured out. Um, you've got all the answers. Uh, who am I describing? I'm describing me, sophomore year at Southeastern, a couple first years in the pulpit at Crestown AG. And I'd look at somebody that maybe I would think, you know, here, the, what you should do in this situation, I wouldn't necessarily say it, but I think, and sometimes I'd preach it, and I didn't realize that in some of those situations, I was looking at somebody that had put 300 million seconds waiting on a promise into their stand. But in my sight, you know, when you look at Abraham and Sarah here, you're looking at a first quarter player walking in faith. Romans chapter 4 doesn't mention these sidebars into Egypt or these God's not going to do it this way and perhaps and you should and I should. I'm mad at you and you're mad at, and I'm, God's on my side and he's not on your. They're not, that's not even mentioned in Romans 4. It's not even mentioned in Hebrews 11. The cross brings him into grace. That stuff's covered. And you know what God says through the Holy Spirit? And they were glorified God in their faith, huh? That's somebody else's sight. When you find these guys later in the third quarter of their faith, they're bringing their A game. And when you find Abraham in the fourth quarter of his faith, he's going up a mountain with that promised child to offer him on an altar as worship to God. Sometimes those of us who have a sophomoric view and we've never left boot camp, so we don't know what the forests of Verdun are like. We've never watched our buddies fall, and we've never seen people blow up in front of our eyes in a foxhole to really bring guts and context to the Bible verses we think some... In other words, I want to 
be careful when someone's on their third round of chemo, the third time through, to throw the by your stripes, you can be healed verse at them. Anybody kind of, anybody? Who are you to judge another man's servant? For his own master can make him stand. Newsflash, the Lord has always used flawed people, flawed in the old and in the new, and to this day, (laughs) ta-da. And he works out his plan through the lives of people And it doesn't necessarily mean his stamp of approval is on every part of their life. There are things about King David that God would say, don't follow him in that chapter. I want to focus though, I just wanted to give those guys a little bit of time because we're going to shift and we're going to look at Hagar. Let's look at Hagar the heart patient today. Here's how we can describe her life in this time. She was used, she was canceled, she was rejected, she was vulnerable, and she was alone. Here's this woman who had no ability in that culture to fall back on her own career gifts. She couldn't cash in her investments. You didn't have that in that culture as a woman. In order to survive, you had to connect yourself to a caravan of of some kind of prosperous man. It was a male-dominant patriarchal culture. And your only hope, if you weren't in that tribe, was to get in there on on some grounds of being a concubine or some sort of work or whatever. That was your only only hope. That was your only meal ticket. And now she's going to lose that. She was used. I began to think about people who are in our culture and they're battling through all kinds of disorientation and mystery and pain sexually. And we can throw a verse and we can do this and that and the other, but how many, how many people have been placed in situations as kids that they never asked to be placed in? How many people who are now 30, 40, 50, 60 years old that we know as covenant people, but only they and only they and God know that a long time ago, their innocence died against their will. Their purity was robbed. They were used. We live in a culture right now where people are dehumanized based upon their political view, who they voted for, who they didn't vote for, who they're going to vote for. Someone thinks of, uh, we think of celebrities, we think of these people, they're, they're just figures, they're not even real, and we can torch them and hide behind a keyboard and gaslight half of the country by saying something about somebody that we don't even know. And I just wonder if we would say that about them if they, if, if they came and sat next to us on an airplane. Would we say, would we tweet the same? What, if their kid was there or their grandkid. We cancel people. There are people carrying private pains that they wanted to keep private, but someone found out and now the whole world can know in 20 minutes. Dr. Jack Hayford, one of my most treasured pastors in the country, talks about different ages in life and stages and seasons that that hit us and some things are very unwelcomed and in some of those unwelcomed seasons, even as children, the enemy looks for doors and opportunities to gain ground by making suggestions and altering course, uh, the way a person thinks and, 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 and dabbling into an emotional p- 
pull in their life to get them to wonder and to begin to meditate on that. And, and it becomes a way of thought that they carry on through what we would call a, a stronghold in a person's life. John Mayer wrote a song called In the Blood where he's writing about uh, you know, watching a parent do this and that and, and, the, and, and he's personifying someone that says, is it in my blood too? And you wonder how many kids have questions like that. You wonder, and I, I've heard of, of I, I have a, a, a dear friend that uh, left this world way too soon that I met him in Bible college and uh, he came from a very hard line, rigid uh, church background. He was a pastor's kid and I met him in my freshman year. He was one of the funniest, fun guys to be around. He was incredibly talented, super duper guy, just the kindest, most friendly guy. He was like a Chris Farley with Jesus on him. And, uh, and, and, a, and a lot of Brian Wilson talent in his music. And I hung around him all the time and we did all kinds of good, fun stuff and stuff that we shouldn't have done. Not bad stuff, but just fun stuff. You were only allowed to have a certain amount of fun in a Christian school back in the 80s. And so we would always take that up a little bit higher. You know? And, 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 and he and I were part of that gang. And anyway, uh, so one, one day, I was in the quad, and his dad dropped him off in August. And his dad said to him now, and he named his name, he said, looked at him, he said, don't transgress. And I was like, what? I didn't say that, but I just thought, what? what? That's, that's weird. Later on that semester, I'm walking across the campus and I see him, he's like walking like he's like lost. And I'm up to him and I said his name and he didn't even know who he was. I had spent time, he was a writer, he could write songs like crazy. And I had a couple friends that wanted me, they would write their songs and want me to sing them because they didn't like to sing. And, and we, I'm sitting in this room with him and he's playing these songs, these chord progressions. I'm like, dude, what the? It's like, that sounds like Brian Wilson, man. What is, what are you doing here? Well, you, you, you're, you can be the, he was, and he had this image of himself. No, I can never, I'd be like, I'm not going to sing the song. You're going to sing the song. So he had a nervous breakdown and, and he never came back to school. And we stayed connected throughout the years. And, and one day, and he lived halfway across the country. And one day I'm at my house here in, in town and, and I go to leave my house and he's standing in my driveway. He's just lost. This guy's just the most beautiful guy. He's just lost. And he'd call me from time to time. One Sunday night before service, I get this call, and it's him on the other line. He's just, he's just holding on for dear life. And one day, he just couldn't hold on anymore. Never. He just couldn't hold on anymore. Tyler Wharton and I, Tyler's the director of Shine Kids, and we've been talking extensively about people, about putting together opportunities for our Shine Kids so we can come up alongside parents as, 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 as they play the main role in, watch, in, in helping their kids go through these ages from four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, because a three-year-old's asking different questions than a six-year-old's asking. And a six-year-old's asking different questions than an eight-year-old's asking, and a 14-year-old. And you know what? A lot of these questions have to be answered in the season and time when they're asked, because if not, they get lost. And then, and then you become a 30-year-old guy, and you're still trying to find the answer to questions that somebody should have helped you find the answer to when you're in sixth grade or so, and all that. And, and see, that's, that's what I'm talking about, you know? And if the church doesn't offer that, and, and we don't create the space for people like that, not everybody's asking them outwardly, but they're searching for them inwardly. And the devil has all kinds of answers for us. There are groups all over the country that promise freedom, but actually lead you into deeper bondage. And there are so many people, I call it the long, chronic, hidden sorrow of loneliness. I want you to feel Hagar where the desert winds are drying up the last drops of water in her well of hope and dream and faith. Amen. 
I used to think believers were exempt from all that. We had the victory in Jesus. And we had, the, we had the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's true. But believers aren't exempt. Battles are real. This isn't a word, I'll just use it anyway because I'm in the pulpit right now. They're realer. Even in the world of successful churches and great leaders, and I don't say that in a diminishing way, it's true. You don't have to look real far to find household name leaders who are talking about deep wars they're in right now, deep struggles. There are great giant killers that people have written about who have even written their own prophetic songs of victory. And right now, they are going through some of the hardest places, gut-wrenching places, and uh, asking for prayer because their heart's failing. That shouldn't be a surprise because David himself said, when my heart and my flesh fail, I'm riding to a dinner to meet Bishop Oliver Jawad III. <laughs> and I'm thinking about this Hagar, and I, all of a sudden I thought, what you did for her was when she wasn't even a part of the covenant people. And it hit me. I thought, oh my gosh. She wasn't a believer. I'm going to show you what the Lord does for her. There's no record of her saying the sinner's prayer. There's no record of her entering into the, the faith of Abraham. None. There's no record that she's heard the story. She probably heard the story that God spoke to him 350 million seconds ago. And maybe she started to see something in them and then the next thing you know, these God people used her up and despised her in their sight, made her want to run away. Made her want to run away. God uses flawed people. The book that we're reading from Genesis to Revelation is not a book about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Paul, Peter. It's a book about God. It's a book about God. He's the star of the show. He's the hero. The last time I checked, every great saint around the throne of heaven can't find a way to keep the crown on their head. They always want to lay it at his feet. I don't think, I don't think any of us are going to be able to fit that crown on our, When we see who he is, we're, we're going to be like, watch this, next verse. Now the angel of the Lord found her. Just right there, just right there. This isn't Billy Graham. This isn't the man after God. This is Hagar. This is an Egyptian slave, pregnant woman who's running away. And the angel of the Lord found her. Did, is, did you get that? Let me, let me put some powdered sugar on top of your cupcake. Found, found her, found her. And I'm driving up the road and my mind just goes, I'm thinking, God, are we even looking for Hagar's? And we're counting 315,360,000. Well, maybe you should, maybe I should, perhaps God will. I got an idea. Let's create another Ishmael. Let's just make God do it. You seen Hagar? Who cares about her? She's not in the... When the Bible uses the phrase, the angel of the Lord, 
Read it really closely because it says the angel of the Lord. It doesn't say an angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, there are times when the phrase the angel of the Lord just means generally the angel of the Lord. It could be any. But usually when it's just an any, it says an angel. When it says the angel of the Lord, it's an Old Testament way to speak of it being the Lord himself. And most scholars would go on to say it is, an, it is a, a visitation of the pre-incarnate, pre-before Jesus was human, a visitation of the Son of God, the Messiah, who is showing up in some sort of human form pre-birth of Jesus. That makes it even more amazing to me. The, this is the angel of the Lord who leads the children of Israel from the Red Sea for 40 years through the wilderness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he was with them in the wilderness. Come on now. This, you know who this is? He finds her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. This reminds me of Luke. Luke always adds the detail. So it's not just the story. It, you, know where, you know where this is? You know, you know what? You're, you're back then and you're, you're hearing this, you're reading this way back then when it was all relevant. And you're like, where, 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 where? Oh, sure. Wow. And then look what he says. And, and they're, by a, they're by a stream of water. I find that fascinating as well. And he says, Hagar, calls her by name. Just soak in this a minute. Hagar, Sarai's maid. Look at the question, God. Tenderly, intimately, asks, where have you come from? Where have you come from? And where are you going? What a question. And her answer? I'm running. I'm running from the presence of this one that's just used me, canceled me. When you're in that position in your heart, your heart's dying. You're out there and the last bit of any kind of faith or hope in mankind or anything, it's, 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 almost gone and he finds you and then he asks you a question it's a question that when we're in this situation in our heart the key to finding new strength in the heart is getting gut honest about the answer Someone walks in the church door and we say, hey, where are you coming from? Well, I parked up here. Where are you coming? You get off the plane. Where are you coming from? I'm coming from uh, BWI. There's that kind of coming from. And then there's the other kind of coming from. Where are you coming from? Well, just coming from the house. My mom and dad fight like banshees. Where are you going? Anywhere. Else. Where are you coming from? I'm coming from school. I'm a joke at school every day. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Where are you coming from? 
Who's asking this question? The God of the heart. If you jump a couple centuries, more than a couple up the road at another well, there's another woman who is coming to fill her water pots and she's coming at a time when no other women come. They come in the morning. She comes in the heat of the day. You know why she doesn't go in the morning? Because they have rejected her. And so when she gets there, Jesus asks her questions. Will you give me a drink? In other words, I want to, I want to, you're a woman. I, I'm talking to you. Men don't even do that in this culture. And then you're a Samaritan woman. They don't even think you're, uh, you're a dog in there. I'm, ta- I'm talking to you. I'm dignifying your humanity. And then I know your situation. I know you've been with five, you've been married five times. And the guy you're with is, and he's, and he's, he's, he's opening up this conversation to her. And then he tells her about something that can happen on the inside of her to change her life. And she's not a covenant woman either. The reason I'm saying that is most of us in here are covenant people. And I want to magnify the intensity of the mercy and kindness of the Lord. If he is open to do this to a non-covenant, somebody that, that, we, that someone might classify as, as not eligible for this kind of goodness and zeroing in, and manifestation of his goodness, how much more those on the, in the covenant? Yes. But when I say how much more, I don't want to say it like how much better. Not how much better. Not how much better. It's a problem. How much more? I'm running. Next verse. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Now, in some cases, he would not tell you to do that. He has a plan. He says this, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. There is still a season that, that, that God wants Hagar to be with Abraham and Sarah and wants Ishmael to be established to a certain place within that community. They will later leave. But if, at this time, the thing that God wanted for her to do was to listen to his word. It's not... It's not it's not what you're supposed to do. It's who is telling you what to do. In some circumstances, I counsel people not to do that. But it's not my counsel. It's God's counsel. Whatever God says. And then, I love this. Next verse. And then she, man, this is what God wants to happen in your life and my life. Then she called the name of the Lord. I love that. He had a name. And the covenant people would know his name. But here is this Egyptian, not in the, king, not in the camp, not in the covenant, not in the tribe. And he shows up for her and she has a name for him. And here's what she calls him. Oh, I love it. I'll read it again. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Man, and she called him this name that, that, is, that means this. You are a God who sees. Now we all know biblically that God sees and God knows, but it's another thing when he opens the eyes of your heart to know he sees you. Even a, even a friend even a brother, even a sister, even your spouse, even, even someone in your family, when you know, they might not be able to fix it. They might not be able to solve it. They might not be able to help, but they see you. The God who sees me is better than that. Where she said, I have even remained alive here after seeing him. And friend, that is what I'm saying. When you feel like your heart's dying or you feel like it's dead and even preachers and evangelists have gone over and went clear, boom, nothing. There is a God 
who will come to your wilderness, to your runaway space, and not hold it over you, just ask you a question. Where are you coming? Where are you going? I'm going to close with this. Or I'm going to continue to close with this. Hagar's heart to heart with him. Here's how I can describe it. Here's what she walks away from there thinking. He sees, here's what God wants for you and me. He wants to create a space today around a well where you can begin to believe this. He sees me. He speaks to me. He sustains me. And he sends me. Sees me speaks to me, sustains me, he sends me. I was watching a show the other night where this, this girl gets on this plane and she's flying across an island. This guy is, is the pilot. He's an older guy and he has a heart attack while they're flying. It's just him and her. He's having a heart attack and she goes, do you have any nitro, do you have any nitro pills? Yeah, in my She gives him. And, help, and, he, and he's able to fly a little longer. He dies and then she's in big trouble. But the nitro pill helps for a while. I thought of that when I put this together. When, you're, when your heart is dying, here's some nitro pills. These are some nitro pills that I've found through my wilderness. These are, I, there's no Bible verse. This is just the Bible according to T. McGee's life. Number one, his love has no bottom. In other words, his love will never bottom out on you. Um, these, these four things are, are these four things uh, he's proven to me. Maybe not to the great, great Christians and all that, but me. If you're, just, if you're just like with me, here's what I know to be true. I know to be true, I'll bet all my money on it. Number one, his love has no bottom. Number two, his grace has no limits. Number three, his mercy has no quit. And number four, his promise has no trade in. I wrote this in my journal. Your love is deeper than my gutters. Your love is greater than my greatest failure. I've wrote this, Jesus, your grace is deeper than my most depressing darkness and my dark dungeons of isolation. You love to come and sit with me. When I've, when I've quit, when I've quit, he's come knocking at my door. And some crazy reason has told me, I haven't quit on you. Ah, I don't have a Bible verse for that. I just have an experience. I've come to a point in my life where I don't care in one sense what people think of me. In contrast to the light Jesus has convinced me of out near my desert well. He will never compromise the fact regarding my sin, but will never cash me in because I'm in covenant with him with a repentant and broken heart. He doesn't want you, me, to wallow in the mire, but he wants you to stand up on your feet as he gives you the power to stand he wants to send you and I thought of this I'll just add this to you You got a couple minutes I'm taking them anyway feel free to leave if you want um, I, I don't like Rotten Tomatoes evaluations of movies because usually the way I know if it's a good movie the, the critics say it isn't and that's usually my key to go I'm going to go watch it but I wrote this down about, and I challenged myself on this. I want to challenge you. Have the, listen, have the guts to add the truth to the edited grace story that you put out to people that's only getting 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you hear what I said? It's hard to do. I have to tell you, this is a challenge to me. Have the guts 
to add the truth to the edited version of your grace story. Because there are Hagar's hanging by a thread that need to hear the real story because their story is so gut real that the edited versions from the church can't convince them because they feel like they're a special messed up version. Now I'll watch this back or listen back and I'll, why didn't I say it like that? I hope there are warriors of God on the edge of despair who need an unedited grace story so that the 50% take it or leave it becomes an 80 and someone wants to listen. There are Hagar's out there that the covenant people need to go out and sit by that well in case Jesus doesn't show up in a mystical fog. Last thing, our invitation. Therefore, the well was called, here's a beer verse in the Bible. (laughs) Actually, it's not. (laughs) The well was called Bier Lahai Roi. And it means this. It was a place where she was, There was a well there, and she renamed it. She called it. Whatever it was called, it didn't matter to her. Because it was where? Be'er lahoi roi means the well of the living one who sees me. And then this is what I love. It says, behold, the writer, whoever it was, Moses, whoever it was, says, behold, it's between Kadesh and Bered. In other words, go see it. Look, that baby's over. Go over there. Do you have a place? Doesn't matter where. God wants you and I to have a place in some moments and seasons and times in the midst between the promise and the next fulfillment and all these, uh, a track record where you go, man, you know what? It's so tempting right now to just forget about the good thing he did for me in 19 whatever and 20 whatever and three years ago and whatever and now I know that was then but this is now. But see, if you have these places, you can name the, you can name the place then it can help you to believe that there's another one. And you might go back to the place and it's not what happens there next time because it's, not a, it's where it was. But there's a track record of your life where God shows up. I just wanted to give you this message today because as I opened up, I'll close. When, not if, when my heart and my flesh fail. And I would venture to say, if David was a when guy, you are too, I am too, and women as well. When my heart and my flesh fail, God is the strength of my heart. Would you stand? Um, this is a God moment. This is a God day. This is a God day. I knew it. I knew it since the other night. I knew it about Hagar. And I thought, man, you're going to open up a well today.
wonderful. Lord, I can't even put in words how many times you've just blown me away with undeserved visitation and intimacy and encouragement in ways that have astounded me to know that it's you. And I just thank you that you, you are doing that now. You've been doing it throughout this time and you've been doing it throughout this long message and you are going to continue to do it today. And there are going to be moments here in the next few minutes, people where they stand, where they sit, or maybe even the front here where they might kneel. I pray that this whole environment now would become, would become Bi'er Lahai Roi that this entire place right now would be, now we name it in faith, the well of the living one who sees me. For everybody in this place, and your heart is like David's heart. It's failing, it's nobody's business unless you make it theirs, but it's God's business. God is passionate about you knowing he sees you, he sees you, he sees you. He sees you. And you're counting days and hours and months and weeks and uh, years perhaps to the point that like in different parts of my journey where I have places in some of my Bibles where I wrote time and date where God spoke something to me from the scriptures into my current contemporary situation. And I, I felt so, so aware that it was God. I wrote down the date and the time. I can take it to the Bible. I can show those places. And then there were times where within months or a year it would happen. And I have things dated from way back that are still there. And there have been seasons of my time where I've been like, oh man, God's good. God's going to work. And then there have been other times, man, listen, there was years and years and years and years ago that I would come in here and at, by lunchtime in the afternoon, I'd leave here because I knew today was another not Tim McGregor day. And I couldn't face it, I couldn't, I couldn't face it. I didn't wanna be around it. So I would get in my car and I would just drive somewhere. And there were times where I'd hear the Lord just kinda of say, where are you going? Where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. That's the point. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you are. I don't know why. All I know is perhaps, and most likely, I got off, because it's all, I don't. And so many times he wouldn't solve it. He would just settle me. And I'd love to say that today's the day. It's all going to happen. You're going to have a well experience. And he's going to say, now this, that, and the other. And he might. He can. But he might just say, listen. I want to tell you, I see you. I see you. And so, Lord, I'm asking you if I have anything to do with a prayer that makes, I'm asking you to release that anointing. Whatever I'm trying to say, you're saying better. I just pray you'd release that anointing across this place to every person that feels like running, feels like quitting, feels like filling in the blank, feels like answering their own promise with their own effort. Whatever that is, creating an Ishmael. You know, it's easy to birth one. You can't get rid of it though, friend. Once Ishmael's there, you got Ishmael. Wait, wait, Isaac's better. There's the son of laughter awaiting you if you wait at the well. Lord, I just open this up. We're gonna turn it over to dust and the team and just pray the ministry of the Holy Spirit flows to every person today. And I give you thanks and praise for the faithfulness that you've shown me in my life. I just wanna testify before every person that's watching and listening, that I testify before you that God, the God of the Bible, has met me and encouraged me and lifted me up when I could not find the way, when the gutter was so deep I couldn't see above it, and he came down and lifted me up. I testify before people for the honor and glory of God that this is true and faithful and deserves full acceptance. In Jesus' name, God bless you.
Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.